you know, last week we talked about going back to the beginning, right? Back to what started it all and wh- how we ended up at the altars, giving our vows to our spouses, and, and what caused that, right? Remembering those things. Those are good things to remember. And, and you know, we're at that altar giving those vows. Those vows are, are words that we say to our spouse. So they are words of love and they are ones that co- we commit ourselves to one another by what we say, right? The words that we say. And isn't it funny how words can change over time in a marriage? And they go from vows to not vows, we'll say. And, you know, today we're going to be talking about words, but it's specifically in the context of conflict. And how do we use our words in times of conflict. And the Bible, y'all, the Bible is chock full of the importance of our words, the power of our words. And, and as importantly, not speaking. <laughs> the Bible is, is, is chock full of when, how we shouldn't talk as well. Just, just don't say anything at all, right? But our words, the reason the Bible has so many verses about our words is because our words are powerful. Our words mean things right? And so we need to be careful in what we say to our spouses, especially in those moments where there's conflict and when there is error. Proverbs 18, 21, this is the message version, says, words kill, words give life. They either poison, they are, they're either poison or fruit. You choose. They kill, they bring life. They're either poison or they're fruit. And then this, here's, the, here's the kicker. You choose, all right? Your spouse, no matter what they have done or haven't done or you think that they did or didn't do, do not get to choose the words that you say to them. In other words, they didn't drive you to this moment where you just, it just comes out and it's out of your control. No, we choose, I choose, and you choose what you say and how you say it to your spouse. And it's two things. It's poison or it's fruit. You choose. Which one is it going to be? Which one is it going to be? Is it going to give life or is it going to give death in these moments of conflict? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell us something right now that you might be aware of, you might not be. All right? But your spouse is not perfect. And your future spouse, for those that aren't married right now, is not perfect. Your spouse is not the saving grace in your life, and the hope of a spouse is not the saving grace in your life. This goes all the way back to when we started. Your spouse is not Jesus. They are not perfect. Yet somehow we expect them to be. But here's something else we need to know. You're not perfect either. I'm not perfect either. And so when you have two people who are imperfect living together, there is going to be conflict. But here's here's the truth about it. It it is said about life. How our life is, where we're at in life, 10% of that is what happens to us. 90% of it is how we respond to what happens to us. We like to think our life is shaped by everything. Well, this happened to me, and this happened to me, and so therefore I am this. No, this happened to me, and I respond this way, and then I find myself here. 10% is about actually what happens, what is out of our control. 90% is how we respond to it. And the same is true 
in our marriages. It's not about all this stuff that happens and what they did or what they didn't do. It's about how did we respond in the moment. Did we speak poison or fruit? Did we speak life or did we speak death? Ephesians 4.26 says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. One way that anger controls us is it takes the filter off of our mouth. I'm angry. I'm upset. Things didn't go the way that I wanted or as I thought that they were going to go. And so out of my anger, I now feel justified to speak some things over you. And I'm letting anger control me. So rather than uh, speaking life, I am speaking death. Rather than giving fruit, I am giving poison because in my anger, it's controlling my mouth now and I, the filter is off. Here's what we need to re remember again. Again, going back to the first week. God created marriage. God only creates good things he only creates things with a purpose, and he only creates things that exalt and glorify him. He creates the mountains, he creates the oceans, he creates the stars in the sky, all to do what? To give him glory, right? To show off himself. He created us to be in relationship with him and to worship him, to give him honor and glory and praise, right? So he does the same thing with marriage. He created marriage to bring us together, to draw us closer to him, and to give him honor and glory and praise. And so if God only creates good things, if he only creates things with a purpose, if he only creates things that exalt and glorify him, then that means that the devil hates your marriage, he hates it. He hates that you're sitting in a church service talking about marriage and now Jesus needs to be at the center of it. He hates when you pray together. He hates when you laugh together. He hates when you're intimate together. He hates everything about your marriage because the purpose of your marriage is to draw each other closer to Jesus. And it's the last thing that he wants. And so because of that, when we are angry with our spouse and that filter comes off and anger controls us, it allows a foothold for the devil to be part of your marriage. So in those moments of conflict, when we're starting to argue, what we're really doing is we're saying, here you go. Come on in. Here's your foothold, devil. Here's your opportunity to get in between my spouse and me, and ruin our marriage, to cause division, to cause disunity. Here's your foothold. Here's your opportunity because I'm letting anger control me and I'm opening the door for you to come in. And here's a thought. Instead of fighting, you know, with each other, we fight with each other against the enemy and just try and keep that door shut, just push it shut, and don't let him in in those moments. Say, even though I'm hurt, even though I'm upset, the last thing I'm going to do is let you in to this marriage and let you have a foothold because of this thing that happened. That probably in a week or six months or a year from now, I'm either going to forget entirely or I'm not going to care about it at all. So why would I let you in over something that I'm going to forget in just a little while? No, instead, I'm not going to let you in. I'm not going to let you have this foothold. I'm not going to let anger control me. I'm not going to speak poison. I'm going to speak fruit. 
The truth is marriages are, are not about moments, y'all. Marriages are about lifetimes. And in moments, things can feel like the most important thing in the entire world to us. They can feel like something that I will die on this hill over because it's that important to me right now. But in a lifetime, they don't really mean that much. So our marriages aren't about these one singular moments, but they're about our entire life. And so a quick question, would you rather be happy or would you rather be right? I'm going to tell you all something. Being right is really overrated. It really is. And if you get in an argument and you actually, I mean, you're like, I'm just going for it. I'm right, right? And I'm just going to argue until my face turns red and you give in and maybe your spouse says, fine, have it your way. Are you happy now? Right? Ever heard? Don't raise your hand. Are you happy now? Don't. You know what? You might have been right in that moment, but you're not happy. You know why? Because you were wrong in how you handled it. So sure, you were right. Congratulations, let's throw a parade. But you feel terrible. So were you right, really? I want to be happy. I want to be happy. And for me, it's easy, because I'm not really right ever anyway. So just <laughs> roll with it. You're right. <clears throat> Proverbs twelve eighteen says, Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. So here's a question for you. When conflict arises, what is your motivation for how you speak? What are your motivations? Is it to prove yourself right? Is it to have cutting remarks which elevate you? Is that your goal? To, be, to elevate yourself above your spouse? Or is it bring healing words which bring you together? See, when we, when we start speaking those cutting remarks, what we're really doing is we are elevating ourselves above the other person, which goes against everything that marriage is supposed to be. Marriage is about serving one another. It's not about elevating ourselves. So what, what is the motivation? When we find ourselves in those moments, when conflict is there, before we speak, before we let anger take over and control us and thus let the devil have a foothold in our marriage, let's ask ourselves, why am I about to say what I'm about to say? We, we, be, we need to be slow to speak. What is my motivation here? Is this about to be a cutting remark? Or is this a remark that's going to bring healing? Why am I saying this? Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3, out of the message, says, How wonderful, how beautiful, when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. Isn't that what we want in our marriages? Don't we want them to be wonderful and beautiful, like that costly anointing oil? We need to remember how that happens, and it's not by winning an argument. It's from unity with one another. Let's remember our roles for a second. Gentlemen, our role as a husband is to lay down our life 
for our wives. To lay down, that means laying down our pride. That means laying down the desire to be proven right in a moment and saying, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. For wives, it's to be a helpmate and an encourager in those moments. To fight, listen, unity does not happen on its own. I'm, I, 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 I hate to disappoint you, but it just doesn't. All right, it might start that way again at the altar with the vows. There's unity there, but life continues, and it is something that we have to choose to fight for, not just try a little bit. We have to fight for it. Why? Because the devil knows exactly what the Lord knows. That is written right here that when there is unity, God commands a blessing. And so if we fight for it, we get that blessing. Guess who doesn't want our marriages to be blessed? Want to take a wild guess? The enemy. He does not want your marriage to be blessed. He wants to destroy it. He wants to destroy it. But oh, how wonderful. Oh, how beautiful it is when we live in harmony with one another. When we remember our roles and we serve one another. Not try and elevate ourselves. Not try and be you know, better than the other person and prove how right we were. So I want to get practical here for a minute. How do we do this, right? It's one thing for me to say, but how do we do it? And this is from a uh, study, a 20-year marriage study, some results on what conflict, healthy and not healthy conflict, looks like. It says, healthy marriage partners have the ability to respond respectfully, even when their feelings are hurt by their spouses. They can stand up for themselves without putting the other down. Okay, so when we get in conflict and our feelings are hurt, there's typically two responses that happen. We get upset and then we go on the attack, right? So you hurt my feelings, I'm going to hurt yours even worse, right? I'm going to hurt yours back. I'm going to turn serve, right? Or we do the opposite and we just disengage altogether. And we're like, I'm done. I'm not even going to go home, right? We back into our corner and we just, we just go away. Fight or flight. That's what happens. What this study says that those that were happy they stay. Maybe they weren't happy in the moment. It said even when their feelings are hurt, all right, even when their feelings are hurt, they stay. Say, I'm not going to run, but I'm also not going to fight you. I'm going to respond respectfully to you. I'm going to respond as your spouse, not as your enemy. And I'm not going to run away just because my feelings are hurt. Let's, let me tell you all something. This takes time. You have to learn how to do this. It doesn't just happen overnight, but I promise if you stay and don't run and don't let anger control you, you'll get through it. You'll learn how to do this. It says, happily married couples avoid assuming their partner's values, priorities, or opinions are wrong. They give their partner the benefit of the doubt. Love believes the best. So in other words, when about to engage in a conversation that you know is coming, right? And we all do it. We all play it in our head how it's going to go. Oh, they're going to say this, then I'm going to say this, and I'm going to win, and I'm going to sound so smart, and I've already won the argument before I started because I know what they're going to say, right? We've already assumed that they don't know what they are talking about. Show of hands, anybody? No, I'm just kidding. Don't show hands. <clears throat> we all do it. We all already come to the conclusion before we've even heard them say a word that they're wrong. Tell them what you're wrong. 
Waste my time or waste my time. Precious time. So another way to put this is these happily married couples, you know what they do? They listen. They don't just hear them, but they listen. They know that just, just because you might do something one way doesn't mean it's the only way. Okay? An example. There's more than one way to load the dishwasher. All right? There is more than one way to load the dishwasher. All right? Those dishes are going to get clean either way, y'all. I promise. But isn't it interesting that putting the plates this way or this way can be a foothold to the devil in our marriage, right? Just listen. Just hear me out. No, you're wrong already, right? But happily married couples don't assume that their spouse is already wrong before the conversation starts. Now, they might be wrong after, but at least you... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But listen to them. Listen to them. Even, even, even if you don't do what they say, or, you know, it goes one way or the other. You've given them the respect of listening to them. And that's a big deal. You might even say, you know what, we don't have to do it. Mine. Just thank you for hearing me out, right? Thank you for listening to me. The marriages that were in the most trouble were the ones that not only argued issues with fight and flight, but moved into criticism and contempt statements. Criticism involves a tendency to go beyond a simple statement of feelings to a global statement about your partner. Words like never and always get used. How can you be so insensitive? Or you never forget about things that are important to you, right? So we start going in absolutes, right? And, and what we do is these, we, we turn this criticism, we take it from a moment in time to a permanent thing. As in, this happened this one time to, no, 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 you do this every time, right? You always do this. You never do this. It's one time, right? But we, we make these moments permanent in our marriage. Like it has to happen every single time. And listen, y'all, y'all hear me say that typically our feelings are dirty, rotten liars. Like when we feel a certain way, even what I was talking about in worship, how we feel distant from Jesus, that is a lie, right? And we can feel things about us, even beyond, certainly beyond the context of marriage, whatever it might be, we have these feelings that are wrong, right? But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be voiced, all right? For a couple reasons. One, our spouse needs to know how we're feeling. And two, it tells us how to pray, right? It says, okay, I'm feeling this way, so I need to pray about this. If we just ignore our feelings and don't ever address them, we're never going to pray about them. Our spouse is never going to be able to pray about them. Our spouse is never going to be able to understand where we're coming from. Because we're keeping these, these momentary feelings in, and then all of a sudden, in a moment of conflict, these simple feelings become this global thing. Because we haven't been communicating these feelings. And it doesn't allow truth to come back in. And I, I wanted to say, typically, our, our, our feelings are liars. Sometimes our feelings tell the truth in a moment. And if your spouse expresses feelings in a respectful way, we need to listen and if there's truth, this is what we need to do. Apologize right then and there and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And I'm going to take it a step further for those who have kids in the room. It is a powerful thing to apologize to your kids when you're wrong. And we need to do it for them and we need to do it for our spouse. 
when they communicate something to us, there's power in, in telling our children and, and our spouses, I'm sorry, I was wrong. But that happens in healthy communication. It says, contempt goes further. I should have known that you'd screw things up again. Why do I even bother with you? Now, this might sound cheesy, but I just want you to consider for one moment how you would feel if Jesus treated you like that. How would we feel if Jesus treated us like that? Would we even have the strength to come on Sunday mornings? How long would our walk with the Lord be if all we heard from him was, I knew you were going to screw that up? Typical. You never do it the right way. We wouldn't make it out of bed in the morning. We'd feel like trash right off the bat. But that's not, that's not how Jesus treats us. And y'all, you need to understand something. We are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And the last thing he does is treat us with contempt when we mess up. When we commit an error of some kind. It's the opposite. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So instead of speaking with contempt over us when we mess up, he says, I love you so much. I'm not going anywhere. I'm never going to leave you. I forgive you. I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to protect you. Come hide under the shadow of my wing. I have you. I'm with you in all of it. And, and it's fine. Let's just, I'm just going to pick you up and let's keep going. I believe in you. You're called. You're qualified. You have what it takes. I know you can do it. That's what we hear from Jesus. Yet in the moments of conflict, you know what we say? Jesus might show you mercy, but I'm not going to. How's that sound? So what are we doing? We're not just elevating ourselves over our spouse, but y'all, check this out. We're elevating ourselves over Jesus because we're saying he can show you mercy, but I'm too good to show you mercy. And I know that is not at the heart of anyone in here, but that's the root of what's happening. Jesus says, I love you. I love you. I love you. There's no contempt. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt or shame picks us up, washes us clean, and we keep going. And that's our example. As the bride of Jesus, that's how he treats all of us. And thank you, Jesus, for that. A person with contempt puts him or herself on a higher plane than the other. Jesus did the opposite. Philippians 2, starting in verse 1, says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Here it is. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, Everyone say, therefore. therefore. Th come on, y'all. Therefore, 
God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, because Jesus humbled himself to the position of slave and, and, and walked in the obedience of death, even death on a cross, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor that every knee in heaven and earth and under the earth should bow. Y'all, in our marriages, it's all about the therefore. But it doesn't happen by winning an argument. It doesn't happen by being right. It hap happens when we stop being selfish, when we stop thinking only about ourselves, when we stop letting anger control us, when we stop speaking poison instead of fruit, death instead of life, and we humble ourselves and we serve our spouse. Therefore, our marriage will be elevated. Therefore, we will be happy. Therefore, there will be laughter in the home again. Therefore, there will be intimacy. Therefore, we will grow together with Jesus. Therefore, that's how it happens. We serve one another. We humble ourselves. We don't elevate ourselves. We address the feelings. We don't fight or flight every time there's a conflict, but we stay. We say, I'm going to fight for unity right now. My feelings are hurt, but I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going to let the enemy get a foothold in my marriage. I'm not going anywhere. We're going to fight for this. And I promise y'all, if you do that, your therefore will come. It's waiting for you. But here, it says literally word for word, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. There is no, or, try this. We must have the same attitude as Jesus. Humble ourselves. Not be selfish. Do you know, I was told to me when, when Jesse and I got engaged, that every argument you have is based out of your own selfishness. Everyone. And it's true. We're either selfish because we want to prove that we were right or we will sell, we're selfish causing the conflict. But all of it, either side, is rooted out of our selfishness. So if we can let go of that and just humble ourselves, we're going to save ourselves a lot of heartache and a lot of time. The last point of this survey says it all goes back to security and love. When people feel secure enough they can hold their hearts open in vulnerability to respectfully talk through issues. A heart secure in love is required for compromising with others. And that takes, that's, that's what marriage is. It takes time, it takes trust, it takes vulnerability. But you can communicate when you feel safe. You can communicate when you feel safe. And it's hard to feel safe when every time you're honest with your spouse, you get attacked or judged, or condemned, or criticized. It's just shut down. But if we're able to communicate honestly and openly, and there's none of that, there's only like Jesus, there's mercy, there's love, there's encouragement, then there's safety to continue to talk. So how are we doing that? I'm going to have the band come back up. And I want to say again, the greatest example we have of a godly spouse is Jesus. 
He is our example. You want to know how to treat your spouse? How does Jesus treat you? How does Jesus treat you? There's your model. There's your example. John 13, starting in verse 1, says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and they had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Here's Jesus' example. He's at a table with all these guys that he loves, but none of them are perfect. He's had to correct them and teach them the same lesson over and over again, right? Sometimes they just don't get it. They doubt. They don't understand. One of them is literally about to betray him, and it's going to cost Jesus his life. And not once in that moment does he condemn them, criticize them, or judge them. Instead, he gets on his knees. He takes a rag and he humbles himself to the lowest position in any home and he washes their feet. There's our example. So, I've been giving homework assignments each week for this series and this is your last one to those in the room that are married. I want you tonight to wash your spouse's feet. This is what, this is, this is, in case you don't know what that looks like or how to do it, so I just take a bowl of warm water, get a rag, and then, man, I want you to go first. As a spiritual head, as leaders of the home, you go first. Wife, sit in the chair. Husbands, get on a knee. Before you wash their feet, pray over them. Pray over them. Ask them, what would you like prayer for? If they say nothing, that's fine. Just pray over them anyway. And don't just do this quick little deal and check it off the list. Pray for them. And then wash their feet. Just wash them clean both feet. It doesn't take long. And then reverse roles. Husband, get in the chair. Wife, get on your knees. Pray for your husband. And wash his feet. Washing feet is a sacrament of the church. It is a big deal. And if you've never done it before, take it seriously. I want to, I know, I, I really want to encourage you. You're going to be tempted to do this, but like try as, try not to laugh during it. And I'm, I'm being serious about that because that can just spoil it a little bit. Take it seriously. Take it seriously. I'm, as, I, I didn't, I didn't know this is what was, the homework was going to be this week, but when it kind of, the Lord put it on my heart, it's like, there's a real expectation. I believe for walls to come down when you do this with your spouse. That there might be something in your marriage that needs to be broken. I believe this is, this is the opportunity. And I, and I say tonight, do it tonight. If you don't have kids, you can do it as soon as you get home. If you need to put your kids to bed, do it tonight. Don't wait because the week just kind of goes, right? And all of a sudden you're gone. So do it tonight. Don't wait. And for those in the room that aren't married, this is your homework. I want you to go on a date Jesus this week 
do something different. Here are the rules. I'm going to give you rules for your homework. No Jesus book or Jesus podcast. Your materials for the date are your Bible and a journal. And you can go to a coffee shop. You can go down to the beach. You can go to your favorite place where you walk, whatever it might be. But the only voices that need to happen on this time with Jesus are yours and his. No outside voices. So no podcasts, no YouTube sermons, no Jesus books written by another author, which are great, but that's not what this is for. And do something different where you're communicating to Jesus, I'm setting this time apart for just you and me, and it's going to be different. We're not going to sit uh, on, on my one chair that I do every single time, which is great and awesome, and we need those, but this is separate. This is special. This is just between us. And allow the Lord to speak into your life. And you be vulnerable and honest with Him as well. Because as much as I know there's, there's many of us in here that want that spouse, they're not Jesus. And they're not the cure-all. And there are things that he desperately wants to say to you that are so good. He just needs the opportunity. So open the door for him. And there are things that you need to say to him. There are feelings that you need to express to him. Be honest and vulnerable in those moments as well. But that's the homework for this week. Listen, I've been, we've been praying. We've been praying as a staff for the marriages in this church. I'm believing that as the series comes to an end, life is going to return to marriages. Jesus is going to return to the center of marriages. And then the more that you pray for and with each other, the stronger your marriage is going to be, the more unified you're going to be. And topics like this aren't going to be nearly as important for you. Because the conflict is going to go out the window because you're drawing more and more closer to Jesus. You're becoming more and more like him as you pray with and for one another. I'll close with this verse this morning. Psalm 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We want our words and the things that we think on, the things in our heart to be pleasing to the Lord, but I want to apply that to our spouses as well words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, husband or wife. May the things that I say to you, about you when you're in the room, about you when you're not in the room, be pleasing to you. May the things that I think about when you're in the room and when you're not in the room be pleasing to you as well. May it please the Lord, may it please our spouses. Man, I love y'all. I want what's best for you, what's best for your marriage. We just, need to, we just need to bring Jesus right back into the middle of it. Just let him be that for us, that firm foundation of truth and love in our life. Let's stand this morning as we close in worship. I want to have a time of prayer this morning up at the front. Um, we, haven't, we haven't had a time of prayer in a couple weeks. We just, just wanted, I just felt like we just need to have some time, whatever it might be. But I said earlier, you know, we talked about feelings not being a, a truth in our lives. Well, this is an opportunity 
to have truth spoken into your life. If you need prayer, if your marriage is going great and you just want a blessing, praise God. We'll pray for you. If your marriage isn't going great, you need help. We'll pray. But if there's something else at all going on, maybe it's your kids or finances or your health, we just want to open it up. So if we could have the elders, wives come on up. If that's you this morning, you need prayer. We want to agree with you. But let me just pray for us as we enter back into worship. Lord, we love you. Father, we just thank you, Jesus. God, that you are the center of everything. You are the example of everything. And your mercies are new every morning. They never come to an end. You're faithful, you're loving, and you're true. And God, I just pray right now that we would be able to be that for our spouses, Lord. God, that if there's marriages in the room that, that are struggling and there has been conflict, God, that you would just get right in the middle of it and that all the striving, all the anger would cease in Jesus' name and you would bring peace to the homes. You would, you would teach us to listen to you, listen to one another, to be slow to speak, to not let anger control us, to not elevate ourselves, not talk with abs negative absolutes, not talk with poison, but with fruit, God, and to look to you as our example. God, if we've been selfish, forgive us. Teach us to be unselfish. God, heal the marriages in here that need healing. Father, for those that just feeling alone. I pray that you would comfort them and as they spend time with you this week, as they go on that date with you, Lord, that it would be so good and so rich and they would be reminded who you are in their lives, Lord. Soften their hearts to what you want to say to them, to all of us, Lord. God, to you be the glory and honor forever and ever in all of it. Thank you for dying on the cross for us proving our worth through your death. Teach us to be more like you, Lord. Teach us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to worship, and if you need prayer, just come on up.